announcements. Man, I was ready to go. I wasn't ready for that bunny. I was ready to get up here. Well, it's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, You picked a great uh, Sunday to be here at Connecting Point. We're going to launch into a brand new series this morning. But before we do that, just a a couple of things. Number one, Pastor Brad mentioned this, but uh, Friday night from 10 p.m. till 5 a.m. on Saturday morning, there was a bunch of people who gathered in this space and just prayed for seven hours. And it was an incredible time. And uh, I encourage you, we do this periodically, but man, it come. If you've never come to anything like that before, it's, it's awesome. We encourage you to do that. But I, I mention this because if you wonder what, there's some people who are wandering around with like dazed looks on their faces. <laughs> and so we've actually, we've actually uh, employed a couple people. Anybody that falls asleep, we're, we're going to come prod them and wake them up. So you know what's going on if that happens. Yeah, it kind of falls over. If somebody falls over, lift them up. Uh, but that's the reason why a bunch of tired people, but it was an awesome time. Secondly, we want to welcome our kids into the service, so let's do that. We're glad that you're in here. And we're doing this for a couple of different reasons. One, you know, we're in transition uh, in our uh, children's ministry. Pastor Justin stepped away after eight years of, of ministry, and we're certainly going to miss him in that capacity, and so we're in transition. And so the first Sunday of every month, we've just decided we're going to make a family worship Sunday, and uh, we're doing that also because we think it's important that kids are in this service and they see how adults worship. That there's, there's something, there are some things that are better caught than taught. And so this time is important. So I just want to tell you, parents, it, it's, it's inevitable that parents get nervous, not about other kids, but their own kids when they're in a setting like this. Don't be nervous at all. We know there's going to be more wiggles and more giggles. And uh, if you're around Pastor Brad, you're used to it anyway. And so uh, we're glad that you're in here. The third thing I just want to uh, share with you before we jump into the sermon, this is the first Sunday of a month, the month. And so we did something new this year. We started this uh, periodically. I'll have people approach me and, and just ask me, hey, uh, do you, do you, what's a good book that I can read? And uh, or what, what's something that has impacted your life? And, and, and uh, if anybody that knows me knows that I'm an avid reader. In fact, if you go and don't go into my office because it's a mess. But if you go in there, one of the reasons why it's a mess is I've got more books than I have bookshelf. And so now it's to the point where there are just books piled everywhere. And, um, and, and we have, I got books in boxes and bo- everywhere, books. But anyway, uh, so what I did was I thought, I'm just going to go through my bookshelf and pull 12 books off that really had a deep impact on my own life personally and just make them available to you. I figure if they impacted me, maybe they'll be beneficial to you as well. And so we've got a new book uh, for this month. It's called uh, Your God is Too Safe by Mark Buchanan. And uh, if you've ever been at a point in your life where it just feels like that your faith has kind of stalled out a little bit, but things have become stagnant or boring, this book is for you. It's a great book to read. I highly encourage you to do that. And so it's available out at the Next Steps table along with the, uh, the previous books from the last couple of months. And so we pray that those will be a benefit to you. We encourage you to stop by and pick one of those up. Well, I'm excited today because uh, we are launching into a brand new series this morning, as I said, and uh, we're calling this Words to Live By. And what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks or so is we're just going to be spending some time talking 
about four biblical concepts, four words that I believe that if we will be intentional about building these into our thinking and into our lives, they'll help us to be more effective, not only as individual believers, but it'll help us as a church. And so I'm excited about this. Um, I, I shared uh, with my staff this past week that, that one of the things that God has laid on my heart this more, or for this year, I guess, uh, about halfway through last year, is that I really felt like that God was calling us to develop a culture of invitation. That's the first word that we're going to be looking at this morning, the word invitation. And I felt like that God was really calling us to develop a culture of invitation, where it's just normal for us, it's just what we do to invite others to experience what we've experienced. And we, we've made incredible strides as a church in developing a culture that is welcoming, I think. In fact, one of the things that I hear over and over again when people talk about Connecting Point Church is that we are a very welcoming church. In fact, I got an email this past week from a young lady who's been attending here for a little while now, and, and in the email she said, hey, I, I, I just wanna thank you for accepting me and making me feel like I belong. And so I just wanna, I wanna applaud you all for that. You guys can applaud yourselves for that and each other because that's not me, that's you all. That, that you guys have done a great job of creating this culture that is a welcoming culture. And so let's keep that up. Let's keep growing in it. We don't always do it perfect, but let's continue to grow in it because it really matters. It's incredibly important. But I believe our next step is to develop a culture of invitation, where again, it's just the normal thing for us to invite other people to experience what we enjoy here at Connecting Point. I guess the question is, is what you experience, whenever you come and you gather here together with, with everybody else in worship, is that worth inviting somebody else to experience with you? Is it worth it? I had, I had someone last week approach me after the service, had tears in his eyes and said, you know, Pastor, I've been in church my entire life, but I've never experienced the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit like I do here. I'm telling you, God is up to something. Yeah, we can give the Holy Spirit a clap for that because it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. And the question is, do we want others to benefit from what we're benefiting from? That's really the question. I, I, I was reading through the book of Acts recently, and as I look back through the book of Acts, one of the things that I noticed was is that when God was moving in the early church, it says that the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved daily. Every day he was adding to their number. Now, now why, why is that? The reason why it was is because there were people who were so excited about what God was doing in their own lives that they just couldn't help but talk about it. Everywhere they went, they just, they just talked about, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what God is doing. It was just kind of the natural outflow of what they were experiencing in their own lives, and it prepared compelled them to invite others to come and experience what they themselves were experiencing. The, the most recent study I read 
reported that 82% of people who don't currently attend church said they would come to church if somebody invited them. 82%. Crazy. Eight out of ten people said they would come to church if we would just invite them to church. Now, now you may be sitting here thinking, you know, that, that's some, that number sounds kind of high. But let, let, let's just say, even if, it, even if it's slightly off, let's just say there's a 10% margin of error, which is a pretty high margin of error, that still means that nearly three out of four people who we know would come with us to church if we just invite them. If we'd invite them, they'd come. And guess what would happen when they came? They would be welcome. They wouldn't be judged. They'd be accepted. They'd be loved. But most importantly, they would have the opportunity to experience the presence of Jesus. I'm telling you, there is incredible power in a simple invitation. In fact, I want to show you how much power. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of John chapter 4. I want to look real quick at this story that if you grew up in the church, you probably heard this story before, but I really want to focus and hone in on a part of the story that usually isn't focused on. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story, and then I want to draw from the story, and I want to give you three aspects of an effective invitation that I hope will help you as you invite your friends and family to experience what you get to experience week in and week out. And and I I just want to say this before we get into the story. Easter is just four weeks away from today. I know that's a moving target. We never really know when it is. It's early this year, but it's just four weeks away, which will be a perfect opportunity to invite somebody for Easter because that number goes dramatically higher on the number who will respond. At Easter time, there are more people who are receptive to coming to church than than maybe any other time other than Christmas. And so uh, we've, in fact, what we've planned to do for Easter is we're going to make note, we're going to have two services. We're going to add a second service on Easter because we are planning on y'all filling this place. All right? So don't let us down. We're planning on that. We're going to have a 9 a.m. service. We're going to have a 1045 service. And so it's a great opportunity for you to invite somebody else. If you need some help with that, as you leave the building, there are some racks by the doors that have invitation cards. Now, we'll have some new ones with the, we don't have the new service times on that. So that has the old service time in it. So just be careful with that and make note of that. But anyway, Uh, For the sake of time this morning, we're not going to read this entire story found in John chapter 4, but I want to give you a little bit of context. Jesus and his disciples have been ministering down in the southern part of Israel, ministering in Judea. Do we have a map? Yeah, we got a map. Hopefully you can see that. Judea is that light blue area, and they've been down way in the southern part of that. And they've decided to go back to what has kind of been their home base in Capernaum, which is way up in the northern part, the area of Galilee, right there on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And so they've been way down south, going way up north. It's about 75 miles. And so uh, walking, it would take about three days to make this journey. And so they're on their way back, and, and out of the blue... Jesus all of a sudden makes the decision. He says, I think we're going to travel through Samaria, which is is right halfway. You can see it's right in the middle between Judea and and Galilee. 
And, and, and it makes sense. You look at the map, it makes sense because the most direct route and the shortest route would be to travel directly through Samaria. However, for the average Jewish person, they would never do that. And they, would, they would avoid Samaria at all costs because there was this incredible animosity that existed between Jews and Samaritans. The Jewish people hated Samaritans. And in turn, Samaritans hated Jews. So much so that if you were an ancient Jew, even though you knew it would add miles and difficulty to your journey, rather than taking the short route, what you would do is you would go off to the right, which is the east, cross the Jordan River, go up through Perea, through the Decapolis, and then come back into Galilee so that you could completely avoid Samaria and stay as far away from Samaritans as you possibly could. Now, the reason why Jews hated Samaritans so much, actually, there were a couple of big reasons. Number one is uh, the Samaritans actually had Jewish roots. But even though they had Jewish roots, down through the years, they had intermarried with people from other nations. And so for somebody who is a pure-blooded Jewish person, they would consider Samaritans to be just kind of like, you know, half-breeds, kind of a, 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 a subclass to a pure-blooded Jewish person. The, the second reason that Jews hated Samaritans, and this is, this is maybe the biggest one, was because Samaritans were so ostracized by Jews, the, the, the only place to worship God according to Jewish tradition, was you had to go to Jerusalem into the temple, which was filled with Jews. And no Samaritan would want to go and experience the ostracism that took place in the temple by the Jewish people. And so what they did was, because they had this desire to worship God, and they weren't allowed in the temple in Jerusalem, what they did was they just built their own temple in their own country on the top of a mount called uh, Gerizim, to which the Jews found infuriating because the only acceptable place of worship was in the, te- in the temple in Jerusalem. If you wanted to encounter God, that's, that's where you had to go. And so <clears throat> the Jews considered the Samaritan temple to be no different than any other pagan place of worship. And this this friction that had developed between Samaritans and Jews was so real and so great that the disciples probably would have been taken completely off guard when Jesus said, hey, we're going to take this route. We're going to go directly through the heart of Samaria. They would have been like, why in the world are we doing that? Now, now what's interesting is in verse 4, It literally says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go. Why? Why why did Jesus have to go? If you look at the original word that is translated here as had, it's a Greek word, deo. It carries with it the idea of someone being bound in chains and literally being led someplace. 
being forced, or maybe a better word is compelled to go. Now, now I don't want you to miss this because one of the things that we know about Jesus is Jesus was always led by the Holy Spirit. We, we see this in other places of Scripture. Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit went and did blah, blah, blah. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to get this imagery here. Jesus being led by, being compelled by the Holy Spirit, he had to go out of his way because the Spirit was leading him out of his way. Why was the Spirit leading him out of his way? Because the Spirit knew that there was a divine appointment that had been made for Jesus in Samaria. An appointment with a woman whose life was a mess, whose heart was broken, but who the Holy Spirit was already at work in. A, a woman to whom Jesus would eventually in the story invite to be a part of his family and in turn through her invitation would change an entire city. This is why Jesus had to go through Samaria. So the Bible says that as they're going through Samaria, Jesus gets tired and so he looks at his disciples. Yeah, I was looking to see how many are tired out there. A few of you. He's, he's tired like that. He looks at his disciples. He says, hey, he says, why don't, why don't you guys go ahead, leave me here. You go into town. I'm just going to sit here. You go get something to eat, bring it back, and I'm just going to wait here by this well and rest. And, and so the disciples leave Jesus, and he's there sitting alone. And while he's there at the well, suddenly this woman approaches. Now I want to pause right here for a moment because there are a number of things about this story. I was telling Pastor Brad this last week, as I read this story, I reread it. I've read it hundreds of times. But one of the things that jumped out at me is there are a number, number of unusual things that take place in this story. I've already mentioned three of them. Usually, Jews don't travel through, Jeru or through Samaria. That, that was unusual. Usually, men don't just go and sit by a well in the middle of the day, when, in the heat of the day. They get a drink, but they don't just go sit by a well. Usually, women don't draw water from the well in the middle of the day. Usually, when women would, what they would do is in the early morning hours when it was still cool, the women of the town would gather together and they would go out as a group of women to the well and they would gather water together, get their drinking water, bathing water for the day in the cool of the day. And so there are several things that are very unusual. Now, the reason that I want to point this out is because I just want to remind you this morning that God often does his best work in the realm of the unusual. Pastor Brad didn't do this this morning. Normally in his welcome, he says, turn to your neighbor and say, you didn't do that today, you must be tired. So turn to your neighbor and say, God works in the unusual. I want you to catch this. God works in the realm of the unusual. He loves to show up in unusual circumstances. In fact, this is one of the, I'm gonna to talk to the church people here for just a second, but one of the traps that a lot of church people fall into is that we don't like the unusual, but rather we tend to love, we embrace the normal. We, we wanna see, we love, we wanna have God work in the usual. We, we prefer business as usual. 
And so as a result of that, we tend to fall in love with things like our tradition. We, we fall in love with routines. In fact, someone once said that there are seven simple words that when embraced will kill a church every single time. Every single time. We just finished a series on the power of words and four words that, that we believe God has then called us to embrace in order to be the people he's called us to do. Pe you know, belong, connect, grow, serve. So we believe that those words are important, but these seven words, if we embrace them, will kill a church. You know what they are? This is how we've always done it. Is that eight words? This is how we've always done it. However many words there is, that's the ones that'll kill the church. I'm still a little tired too. This is how we've always done it. I'm telling you, those are death words. No, no, we can't, we can't, we can't do it that way because this is how we've always done it. We, we, we can't, no, that, this is how we've always done it, Pastor Brian. See, our nature is to love the usual. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is that God oftentimes does his best work. His playground is in the realm of the unusual. In fact, Isaiah 43 verse 19 says this, says, listen carefully I am about to do a new thing, not the usual. I'm about to do something new and it'll spring forth. The question is, will you be aware of it or not? Will you embrace this new thing that's unusual or will you continue to hold on to the unusual? God, God says, I am I'm here, I've come, I'm about to do a new thing. The question is, will you see it? See, this was the problem for the ancient Jews because the usual way, the traditional way, if you wanted to encounter God, you had to travel all the way to Jerusalem. From wherever you were from, you had to go to Jerusalem. You had to go to the temple where the Spirit of God lives. That was the usual. And then Jesus showed up. And he said, guess what? I and the Father are one. So wherever I go, there he is. Man, that was unusual. They, they weren't able to grab a hold of it anymore. Jesus was saying, you know, you don't have to go to this building anymore to encounter the living, breathing God because he's in me. And then he goes on to say, get excited because there's coming a day where I'm going to put him in you. So wherever you are, there he is. Some people might get excited about that. <laughs> we have the living, breathing God in us. If you know anything about Jesus, he never operated in the usual way. If anything, he specialized in the unusual. For, for instance, in ancient days, what was usual was if you were born blind, usually you remained blind for your entire life. But what's unusual is this rabbi named Jesus comes along sees a blind person, spits in the dirt, makes some mud, rubs it in the eyes of the blind, and miraculously his sight is restored. Talk about unusual. Well, what was usual was that if you couldn't walk, if you were lame, you had no hope. Your destiny would be to sit out in a public place somewhere and beg for food or money, just try to eke by somehow. That was what was usual. 
What was unusual was Jesus shows up and he just speaks. He says, hey, why don't you grab your mat and get up? And all of a sudden, the unusual begins to happen. Muscles that had atrophied and hadn't worked for years all of a sudden begin to develop strength. And they begin to move. And the next thing you know, you're up and you're dancing and you're jumping and you're running and laughing. You talk about completely unusual. Blew people away. Unusual is that when you die, or, or usual is, when you die, you're dead, Right? That's what's usual. But Jesus says, man, I've come to do something totally unusual. See, I have come to bring life. And so Jesus comes across this dead little girl. Her family's gathered around in tears, no hope. And he says, I don't know why y'all are crying. She's not dead. She's just asleep. He leans over, whispers something in her ear, says, hey, little girl, get up. And Luke says, her spirit returns to her. And all of a sudden, she ain't dead anymore. Jesus' buddy Lazarus, yeah. Jesus' buddy Lazarus dies. Jesus goes to the tomb. He's been rotting there for four days. His sisters are devastated. And Jesus just simply shouts out, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, they see a, hear a rumbling and they hear a sound. And this guy dressed in mummy clothes comes stumbling out. Talk about unusual I'm telling you, there's nothing usual about Jesus. See, see what I'm trying to help you understand is that, that God does his best work in the realm of the unusual. And so if you're here this morning and you're going through something and it's out of the norm, it, it feels uncomfortable. Come on, man, I'm preaching to myself here. Going through something that just something you don't understand, something you can't fix. It's completely unusual. I got some great news for you this morning. You are in the perfect place to encounter a Jesus who specializes in moving in the realm of the unusual. Have hope. He still moves in the realm of the unusual. That was all just free. I don't know what it had to do with my sermon. It's just free. See, there's nothing usual about this story. Jews don't usually travel through Jerusalem. Men don't usually sit by a well in the middle of the day. Women don't usually draw water in the heat of the day. But what, have been, what would have been most unusual about this entire story is that in that culture, a Jewish man would never engage in conversation with typically a woman in public in general but especially not a Samaritan woman, and certainly not a woman like this woman. There was a reason why this woman had waited in the middle of the day, a time where she knew that you know, usually nobody else was going to be at the well. This woman, who more than likely was a woman who was ostracized, this was a woman who was looked down upon. She was someone who other women didn't want to hang out with. And we find out the reason why later in the story, it's because this was a woman who had a reputation. This was a woman who had a past. 
This was a woman who everybody in town knew. They knew her story. She, 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 was, she was the name and the number that men put up on the restroom wall. That was this woman. And what I love most about this story is we're told that right out of the chute that this is the one, this is the individual that Jesus changed his entire travel plans for. She's the reason that he had to go to Samaria. Man, I'm telling you, this is good news. Because what this means is it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what anybody else has said about you, thought about you. You need to know this morning that Jesus loves you and he came for you. You need to understand Jesus went out of his way for you. And me, good news. When everybody else was judging, everybody else was gossiping, didn't want to be around this woman, the Son of God came just for her. And so as they begin to talk, he says to her, he says, hey, why don't you just go get your husband? Immediately, she's embarrassed. She's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know. I know you don't have a husband. You've had five, and now you're living with somebody who's not your husband. And I want you to understand this. When Jesus says this, he doesn't say it in a condemning way. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came to save it. And so he doesn't say it in a, in a condemning way. He just says it in a knowing way. And it blows her away. She's like, wow, the only way you could ever know all that stuff about me is that you've got to be a prophet. And Jesus is like, I'm a little bit more than that. He says, he says you, in fact, you, you know that Messiah that you've been waiting for, the one that you've heard about, the one that everybody's longing for, who will come and set everything right? I want you to know that it is me, and I am he. I am the one speaking to you. I am he. I am the I am. And in that moment, something grabs her heart. That, that one she's been waiting for is the one who knows her past, but he's not defining her by her past. Instead, he's pointing her to a future. And he invites her into this relationship with him. And the invitation is so moving that in verse 28, it says that the woman left her water jar beside the well, totally forgot why she was there. Why she was there. She left it by the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Skip down to verse 39, and it says this, and many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. Why? Because of the woman who said, he told me everything I ever did. Man, there's so much that I love about this story. Well, one of the things is this, is that, this one woman's invitation, a woman that you probably wouldn't think could, could, could hold, yield much power at all or influence at all, that this one woman's invitation winds up impacting an entire village. I'm telling you, there is incredible power in a simple invitation. It not only has the power to change one person's life, it has the power to change the life of an entire community. Who knows? 
how God might impact our city through one invitation. One invitation that you might give. I, I don't know why it seems so hard for us to do that. Well, well I, I do know that one of the reasons why is because the enemy, the last thing he wants us to do is invite other people. See, the last thing the enemy wants is for one more person to be set free. The last thing the enemy wants is for one more person to discover Jesus, encounter his love and his grace and his mercy, and have their entire life transformed. The last thing that he wants is for one more person to find any source of hope at all. And so he fights us in that. But, but, but that's what we're called to do. And so I want to get really practical. We just got a few minutes left, but we're going to hone in and we're going to go fast. But I want to just give you three aspects of an effective invitation drawn from this story that hopefully you'll remember over the next few weeks and it will compel you to issue an invitation of your own. The first one is this, and some of you might want to write these down, but if you notice, the invitation that this woman gave, it was an exciting invitation. It was an exciting invitation. The first thing she did was what? She, she left her water jar by the well, and it says she ran back to the village to tell everybody. What that tells me, there was something in the heart of this woman that got so inspired, so excited about Jesus, that she couldn't wait to get back and tell people about it. Man, she ran. She ran. She was I think we ought to be excited about what Jesus does. Call me crazy. I think we ought to be excited about that. She was excited about Jesus. Couldn't wait to invite her friends to come and experience him like she had. She was so excited, it says, that she left her water pot. I'm telling you, genuine excitement will cause you to leave your water pot. <laughs> Question is, what's your water pot? See, for her... It was her agenda. This is what I'm going to do for the day. This is what's most important right now. For her, it was her list of to-dos. Man, I, I got to do this, and I got to do this. My day is crazy. I got so much going on. I got all this stuff that I've got to accomplish. And, and for her, she got so excited about Jesus that all the other stuff that once seemed important to her all of a sudden didn't seem so important anymore. The only thing that mattered was, man, I just met Jesus. Told me everything I'd ever done. In my, all the stuff that I'm ashamed of, he told me everything I'd ever done. And instead of showing me condemnation like everybody else, he just loved me. I got to tell somebody about that. I know some people who need to know that. I know some people who are caught up in their own shame and they need to know that coming to Jesus isn't a place of shame. It's a place of freedom and forgiveness. It's a place, see the thing about Jesus, what blows me away is Jesus always targeted people that nobody else thought had any value. And he said, you know what? I wanna show you that you have incredible value. She was so excited. She's like, I, I gotta tell somebody else about that. You know, there's something that's just exciting about excitement. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean excitement is, is contagious. I mean, have you ever been around somebody who's exciting? Unexcitement is contagious too. 
just met Jesus. <laughs> kind of awesome. You want to meet him too? No, thank you. Excitement is good. See, I don't know. I just think that we ought to be the most excited people in the world. I've been around exciting people who the stuff they're excited about really isn't that exciting. But it still gets you excited. <laughs> Laura and I, we were living in Kansas, and I had a friend who got all excited about this opportunity that he wanted to share with me. He had this opportunity. I'm not going to tell you what the company is, but he had this opportunity where it was so exciting because, see, what you did is if you could get five of your friends to become a part of this opportunity, and then they got five of their friends, and those guys all got five of their friends, somebody up here is going to make a lot of money. And he got so excited about it that I got excited. I went home and I told Laura, and she wasn't that excited. <laughs> we get excited about so many things. But the most exciting thing is what Jesus has come to do and what he's done around us, for us. Man, I don't know about you, but I love being around exciting people. In fact, I'd rather be around exciting people than someone who's not exciting because that ain't exciting at all. You know what I'm saying? And the reality is, man, let's get excited about Jesus. That's the most important thing. One person was excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> Whew, I'm, I'm trying to, come on now. I'm trying to help you out a bit. I didn't sleep at all on Friday night. I was up all night. And I'm more excited than some of you have slept for a while. We need to encounter Jesus. We need Jesus. He's exciting. What he's done for me changed my life, Brad. Totally changed me. I'm a different person. None of you would have liked me back. If you don't like me now, you really wouldn't have liked me before I knew Jesus. He changed my life. And he wants to change other people's lives too. Best thing that ever happened to me. Why would I run around telling people about things that won't change their life and get more excited about that than about Jesus? We ought to get excited about Jesus. People are attracted to exciting things. She gave an exciting invitation. Not only was her invitation exciting, it was an urgent invitation. I mean, it says immediately, once she encountered Jesus, she didn't go home with the attitude of, well, I'll tell them when I got time. I'll, I'll tell people about it, you know, when, when it's convenient for me. I'll, I'll, I'll wait until, you know, the timing. I'll wait till it's a little bit. I'll, I'll tell them about Jesus once I've got a little bit more Bible memorized. I mean, I don't even know how to find verse and scripture. I don't know any of that stuff. That didn't matter to her. See, she, the, the invitation, once she encountered Jesus, she was so excited that she had this sense of urgency. It says that she immediately went back to her village. And in verse 29, she says, man, you got to come. Y'all got to come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. I'm pretty sure he just might be the Messiah. I don't know how long he's going to be here. You guys got to come and see. I don't know how long the opportunity is going to be. You got to come and see. See, I think that's how this is intended to be read with a sense of urgency. Come and see this man who knew everything about me. Come and see for yourself. He might be the Messiah. 
See, I just believe that God is calling us to operate with that same sense of urgency in inviting people. The reality is none of us knows what the future may hold. This past week, I, I saw on social media that a guy that, I, I'm gonna say he's a young man because he was my age. I went to mid-America with him, but 57 years old, passed away suddenly within the past few days, devastated some people. He knew Jesus. What if he wouldn't have? Man, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow, this might be our only chance. It might be our only opportunity. And I, and I believe that when we operate with this sense of urgency, that what we're really doing is we're operating with the heart of God. The heart of God, listen, God is not a passive God. He, he's not apathetic towards people who don't know him. He, he's not like, you know, hey, you know, if you decide, you decide, you know, if you decide you want to come to church, then come ahead, come, you know. No, it's urgent. Jesus saw what was happening, and in that moment, he cared. He cared enough not just to sit in Jerusalem where it was easy and wait for people to come to him. Instead, he went out to the hard places and sought them out. See, I don't know about you, but I'm glad he sought me out. He went out. There was something urgent about it. Laura, Laura will tell you that one of the things that I don't like to do is, and this may surprise some of you because I, I'm, I, I'm way more comfortable here doing this than I am talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. And, and I know that's a weird thing, but I'm just a weird person. But Laura will tell you, one of the things I hate to do is I hate talking to people that I do not know. I don't know why that is. It just makes me uncomfortable. It's outside of my comfort zone. You know, we'll all be in a, in, in, we'll, there, there's always the places for each of us where we're most comfortable. And for me, I'm, I'm comfortable with people I know, don't like being outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, we'll, we'll be out in, in a place, um, you know, looking for something. And, and Laura will say, why don't, I'll, I'll be lost, I'll just admit it. I'll be lost. And Laura will say, why don't you just ask that guy over there what to do? And I'm like, I ain't going to ask him, you ask him. I don't want to talk. Now, maybe something more than that, Brian, than just uncomfortable talking to people I don't know. But I, I shared this story before, but when our son was little, I had taken him to the, the, the boat and sports show in Kansas City. It was downtown at Bartle Hall, wall-to-wall -wall people, everywhere people, booths everywhere, uh, just thousands and thousands of people. And in the midst of those people, I lost our son. He's, he was about two or three years old, probably something like that. And, and, and guess what? In that moment, when I knew that my son was lost, all of a sudden there was a sense of urgency that kicked in that compelled me to action. It, it, it made me get out of my comfort zone. All of a sudden, it didn't matter that I'm not comfortable talking with people I don't know. Man, man, I'm going from booth to booth, person to person. Have you seen this little boy? See, because the only thing that mattered was that he was lost. And I needed to find him. 
Come on, man, that's Jesus. The, the sense of urgency for Jesus to find lost people was so great that he was willing to leave his comfortable place, the place of heaven. He entered into a dark, messed up, broken world, a very uncomfortable place. And he said, I have come because it's important, it's urgent. I've come to seek and to save the lost. I'm telling you, that's the heart of God and it ought to be our heart as well. So here's Jesus, he's tired from his journey, he's hungry, the disciples come back with food and Jesus refuses to eat. He's like, listen, if, if you want to understand what's more urgent to me right now than eating is, I've got an opportunity to do the work of the Father. And then he starts talking about harvest. If you've, if you've ever farmed, you know that there's a sense of urgency when it comes to the harvest. There's a limited time for harvest. Jesus' disciples would have understood that, and so Jesus says to them, you guys need to wake up, and you need to look around because the fields are ripe for harvest. There's a sense of urgency. Harvest is now. And they know he's not talking about wheat or corn. He's talking about people. He's saying, come on, guys. We only got a limited amount of time here. We got to make every moment count. We got to make what's most important, most important. And that's making sure everybody has the opportunity to encounter my love and my forgiveness. You see, I believe what Jesus wants for you and me is to have that same kind of urgency. There, it was an urgent invitation. Last one. The invitation not only should be exciting, not only is it an urgent invitation, but number three, we got to understand that it's a rewarded invitation. There's reward whenever we partner with Jesus in doing the work of the Father. I want you to understand this this morning. When we invite people to encounter Jesus and experience his presence, we get blessed through that. God blesses that. And God is a God who loves to bless people. And I don't think there's a greater blessing that we can experience outside of our salvation than to play a role in somebody else taking a step of faith and giving their lives to Jesus. We're rewarded. That's what the Bible says. In verse 36, Jesus says this, harvesters are paid a good wage. There's a harvest. He says, go out in the fields, it's ripe. And then he says, harvesters are paid a good wage. Listen, we're the harvesters. And then he goes on, he says, and the fruit that they harvest are people brought into eternal life. And then he says, he goes on, he says, what joy awaits the planter and the harvesters alike. Man, I'm telling you, there is incredible joy in pointing people to Jesus. Jesus said, my joy is to do the will of the Father. That's what my joy is. Listen, you and I, we get to share in that joy. The Bible says this, that there is rejoicing in heaven. In other words, there is a party in heaven anytime one person's sins are forgiven. There's a party of heaven. And here's the deal. We get to experience a taste of what heaven looks like and what's taking place in heaven whenever we invite somebody and they make a decision for Christ. There's a reward in inviting. 
And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage us as a church. I mentioned Easter is just a few short weeks away. Now, you don't have to wait until Easter. There's an urgency, right? But, but just a few short weeks away, and, and we're adding a service. We're, we're preparing. We're making room. And, and we plan on filling this place. And I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell people that Jesus loves them. I'm going to let people know there's forgiveness of sin, and there's hope for the future, and his name is Jesus, and salvation is a free gift. I'm just going to preach that. And there's probably some people you know who need to experience that. So will you set your water pot down? You know, Easter is always a day where we as a family kind of do our thing. We got our traditions and, you know, we take the kids and we do eggs and we, we, we do, we, we, you know, we, we have a big dinner and we do all that stuff. And so it's really not convenient for me. Seriously? Set that water pot down. If you know Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be done here, Brian, if you want to come help me. but I'm just going to get real with you. So real, I'm going to come down here. For those in this room who know Jesus, you need to understand, it ain't about you anymore. It's not about you. It's about every other person who has not experienced what you experience. It's about every other person whose heart is broken, who has no hope, no purpose, who are suffering the consequences of choices in life, who've just kind of given up. Jesus says, I came to bring life and hope and healing, and a future, and forgiveness. In fact, here's the kind of God I am. Dream the best dreams that you can dream. Think your best thoughts. And understand I got more than that for you. Because I am the God of exceedingly, abundantly, more. More. I don't know about you. But man, I just want to see everybody who can experience what I've experienced. It's the only reason I get up here and sweat like a whatever. I'm preaching hard today. And the reason why is because this is important. It's what we're called to do. Man, this, this blows me away. That you and I could have a hand and a part in transforming an entire city. We live in a broken world. You guys know one of the things that breaks my heart is just addiction is something that is rampant. I mean, it's just destroying individuals and families. And we got the answer. His name is Jesus. There are people who don't have any hope. They just need a little bit. Some of you know because he's worked in your lives in that way. You've been set free. Other people need to know that. 
See, see, that's all this woman did. She just went back. Everybody knew her story, and she said, hey, you guys know who I was? I'm not that anymore because Jesus forgave me, and it was the most powerful thing. I'm telling you, a preacher could have went in there and preached a sermon, and everybody would have went, eh. But this woman went in, and she said, you know who I am. You know where I've been. You know what I've done, but guess what Jesus did? He loved me and forgave me, and I'm not that person anymore. He gave me a brand new life. You have the power to do that. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you, every head bowed, every eye closed, and there may be some in this room. You walked in this morning. Maybe you came at the invitation of somebody else. Praise God for that. We're so glad that you're here. You walked in this morning, and maybe you've never encountered the love of Jesus before in your life. Maybe you never even believed that it was real or true or anything else. I want you to know this morning, you may not have known it, but you're here because there is a Holy Spirit that has brought you to this place and his sole desire is to encounter you. His invitation to you is all who are weary and heavy burdened, if you'll come to me, my promise is I'll give you rest. I'm not gonna saddle you with a bunch of stuff. I want to give you freedom. And so if you're here this morning and you've never taken that step of faith and received Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you to do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. This is, this is just business between you and Jesus. If you're here and you say, hey, man, I'd like to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to draw attention to you. I'd just like to know that you're saying to me, hey, I'm making that decision, and I want you to pray for me. Include me in this prayer. I want to be included in it. If you'll just lift your hand up real quick. All over this room, lift your hand up. Anybody who says, include me in this prayer, I want to receive Jesus. I want to accept his invitation. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Father, this morning, there was a great number of people. You know each one by name. You draw them here. You created them. You got a plan for their lives. This morning, they said, I, if this invitation is real, then I want it. I want it. I want it. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would meet each one where they're at. For every person who lifted their hands, I'm just going to ask you in the quietness of your own heart to, to just take these words that I'm going to pray and pray them for yourselves. Make them your own. And just pray, Jesus, I receive you this morning. I confess I'm a sinner and I need you. I want you. If you want me, it'll have me. And so I, I, I don't have much to bring except for me and I give myself to you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I want you to know if you prayed that prayer this morning, there were several who did, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, everything's become new. And we welcome you into the family. You're part of our family. You belong to us. You can't even get away now. You know, you can't get away from family. So you're part of us. So I want to encourage you as you leave this place, go with the spirit of excitement, a spirit of urgency, and knowing that your work will be rewarded and bring somebody else back with you next week. Let's pack this place out, okay? Have a great week.